Well, welcome to Sojourn. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is good to be with you today. Love gathering together. It's a beautiful day outside here. Uh, but as we rejoice in the goodness of today here, let's continue to pray for uh, our neighbors in Florida who are experiencing hurricane weather this morning uh, and throughout the rest of this week. Man, it's just good to worship together, to sing, and now open up God's Word. Uh, and so if you need a copy of the Bible this morning uh, to be able to read along with us, would you just raise your hand? We'll have a couple of people bring a Bible around to you. We'd love for you to be able to read along with us today uh, in the book of Hebrews and to be able to uh, have that throughout the week. And so if you don't actually own a Bible, take that home with you. We want you to be able to have God's Word, not just on Sunday morning, uh, but Monday through Saturday as well. Uh, but as we begin our time, let's just go to the Lord in prayer and ask Him to bless this time in His Word. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning we come before you and we just ask that you would be exalted today, that you would be made much of today, and that as your name is exalted, as you are exalted, we pray that you would bring salvation this morning, that you would bring hope this morning, that you would stir our affections for you this morning. And Father, we pray that you would enlarge our our view of you, our vision of you, that we would be so taken aback by the reality, the fact that you, the God of all creation, allows us to be in relationship with you, to be known by you, and to know you. And so, Lord, we pray that as we look at this text this morning, that your Holy Spirit would do a work of encouragement and challenge and transformation. May this be in a, a, a time this morning where life is communicated to us where we're struggling this week, where maybe we're distant from you, or maybe we've been having a great week with you, that we'd walk out of here with just a deep joy in Jesus today. And so Lord, we rejoice in the fact that we have the privilege and the opportunity to gather together before you and with one another today. So be glorified, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Man, last Sunday, I don't know if you were here last Sunday or not, it was just a great Sunday of gathering together. Really enjoyed worshiping together, singing. Uh, Theodore preached a great sermon last week, and it was just awesome to be able to gather together and worship. And then right after service, later in the afternoon, we had a college cookout. Uh, as Daniel said, he is the uh, essentially kind of the deacon of cookouts at this point. And so um, we were over at their house and cooked out some hamburgers and hot dogs and had a bunch of college students there, which is an awesome time to do that. And then to top that all off, my family, along with other staff families, went out to Dairy Queen to top off the night. So it was a great Sunday together. When we got home, though, my son Isaac hopped out of the car. Uh, it was dark outside at that point. He hopped out of the car, and he looked up at the sky, and he said, Whoa, look at the stars, to which I looked up and saw about three of them. <laughs> and I turned to my wife, Amy, and I said, You know you're living in the city when your almost four-year-old thinks and is amazed by three stars in the sky. His vision of the vastness of the sky, it's obstructed, right, by the light of Fairfax and kind of the northern Virginia area. You have to go far away from here in order to see all that there is. In fact, I was talking to a student at the cookout who lives in southern Virginia, and he said, man, I love being in Fairfax, but I enjoy going home to remember the fact that there are a lot of stars out there. We can look up at the sky and see all that there is. Isn't that the interesting thing? Stars don't come and go. They're always there. They don't hide themselves. Sometimes, though, we just can't see them. Sometimes we lack the vision to be able to see them. The consistency of the stars has enabled people 
throughout time to navigate the vast and monotonous ocean and seas, a place that has no landmarks or street signs to tell you where you are or where you're going. They've enabled ships and sailors to stay the course. Vision for where they're going, guided by the stars, is crucial. But vision isn't just crucial for that. Vision is critical and crucial in the life of the church as well. Not in the literal sense of being able to physically see, but in the figurative sense of knowing where you are going and having clarity about it. Sojourn Church turns five years old next Sunday. Turns five years old. And man, God has been gracious and kind to us over these last five years. He's been gracious and kind through a lot of ups. He's been gracious and kind through some very difficult downs. But as we look ahead as a church, the pastors and leadership team of Sojourn are thinking and praying and dreaming about what God wants to continue to do in us and through us. And we're calling that Vision 2020. What do we want to see God do in the life of this church over the next three to five years? And then we're coming before him and asking for him to give us clarity, give us vision, to give us direction for that so we might know where he wants us to go. But something we have to understand is that vision flows out of what we value. It flows out of what we value. And there are several things that we value as a church. And two that I want to mention this morning. We value the gospel and we value being family together. Now, when I say the gospel, I mean who Jesus is and what he's done, the Son of God and the Savior of the world, through whom we are reconciled to God, through his life, his death, his resurrection. And when I say family, I mean the fact that we are brothers and sisters in Christ who are called to love and serve and help each other along the journey of becoming more like Jesus. Well, today, as we mentioned, we're jumping back into the book of Hebrews from a short break last Sunday, and we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10. And what we're actually going to do is over the next four weeks, including today, is spend those four weeks just in these same seven verses, Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. And so we're going to kind of do a mini series within our sermon series, taking some time at this juncture in the life of our church to focus in on one critical piece of the overarching vision of our church, which is this. How does the value of the gospel and the value of being family enable us to be and do all that God has called us to be and do as a church? And I really believe that Hebrews 10, 19 through 25 helps bring all of that together for us. Now, before we jump into this, let me just say this. If you're new here, If you're looking for a church or you're checking out who Jesus is, or maybe this morning you're like, I'm here, but I really don't have any interest in Christ. I came with a friend. I just happened to be here this morning. I just want to let you know that we're grateful that you're here. I'm grateful that you are here. And my hope is, is that by hanging out with us for at least the next four weeks, that God will do two things in your life. He'll help you to see and experience these two things, the gospel and being family and how they fit together. That he'll help you to see and experience what it means to be a part of Jesus' church and Jesus' people. And so let's get to it this morning, and may God bless the preaching of his word. We're going to be, as I said, in Hebrews chapter 10. I'll read verses 19 through 25. This is what God's word says to us this morning. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, 
by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Man, there's so much goodness in this text, so much depth, so much beauty, so much encouragement, so much challenge. And I'm really looking forward to spending the next four weeks trying to unpack that a bit more and seek to apply it to the life of our church. But today, we're going to focus in on one aspect of this text. Today, we're going to see what it means to be gospel-founded. To be gospel-founded. And here's a key truth for today. The gospel both founds and is the foundation of true community. Let me say that again. The gospel both founds and is the foundation of true community. As we jump into verse 1, we see the word therefore. And as we have said before, and it's always good to remember, when we see the word therefore in Scripture, we always need to see it as a word that both looks forward and backward. It's screaming at us, it's yelling at us to consider the context of what's been said before we move ahead with what's about to be said. And in particular, this verse, Hebrews 10.19, is really a a hinge verse in the book of Hebrews. It's It's a pivot point for the author in the book of Hebrews. But it's not a therefore about what he's just said in particular in the last few verses. It's a therefore about what he said for the whole entire book of Hebrews up to this point. So far, he sought to lay out a theology of the superiority and the supremacy and the greatness of who Jesus is and what he's done. He's declaring to us through these first almost 10 chapters in the book of Hebrews that Jesus really is better. Better than anything else that you can imagine. Better than anything else that you could put your hope in. But now he turns to us and he says, therefore, because of that truth in light of that reality, here now is how you should live. This next section is a call to faith and perseverance in light of the superiority of Jesus. So remember that he's writing to these new followers of Jesus. And they're being tempted to turn away from him. They're tempted because of persecution and difficulty and suffering. They find themselves in a culture and a context that doesn't think fondly of Jesus and following him. And you and I find ourselves in that same kind of culture right now where the church continues to get pushed to the margins and Christ is less and less popular and following Christ is less and less advantageous to you in the world we live in. But he begins by saying, therefore, and then he has this word since. Therefore, since. And he recaps and highlights what he's been saying all along about Jesus. All of this leading up to the action that he's calling us to. See, the subject at the beginning of verse 19 is Christians. He says, therefore, brothers or brothers and sisters. The word in Greek means brothers or brothers and sisters together. It's about us, but then the rest of it, the subject of verse 19, the rest of verse 19 and 20 and 21 is Jesus. He says, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. 
Something the author has made very clear throughout the book of Hebrews so far is that it's because of our sin, because of our rebellion against God, that we are separated from him. And the people of Israel were always confronted with that each and every time they went to the temple of God. Only priests were able to offer sacrifices for the people. And only the high priest once a year could go into a place called the most holy place or the holy of holies before the very presence of God and offer sacrifice on behalf of the people one time a year at a time called the Day of Atonement. But it had to be done over and over and over again. But Jesus came and he came to make a way and he came to be the way. And so you and I, even now, can have confidence to enter the holy place, to be in the very presence of God by the blood, not of bulls, not of goats, but by the blood of Jesus, offered once and for all, not over and over again. And the curtain in the temple was literally torn in two at the crucifixion of Christ It was a figurative representation of the fact that sin had separated us from God and it tore in half so that you and I have access to God, confidence to go through as Jesus' body was broken for us so that we too might enter through. See, through the breaking of the body of Christ, the old way of relating to God is broken down. And we now have, as one scholar says, complete confidence in access to God and complete confidence in our advocate before God. He is our constant high priest. His intercession for you never ceases. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, Peter recounts the goodness of the gospel. He says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit, righteous for the unrighteous. A completely righteous life of Jesus is exchanged for your unrighteous life and your unrighteous life and your unrighteous life and my unrighteous life. And it brings us to God. It's the only way for us to come before him. See, the new and living way is about life. A God who lives, a Savior who lives, a people who live, people who were once dead but are now alive. Sin paid for, life given. And not at all because of anything that you have done or can do, but completely and fully because of what Jesus has done for you. That's the gospel. And if you don't yet know Jesus, I'm not sure what you've been told before about what it means to know Christ or, or what it means to know God, but this is it right here. If you don't yet know God, if you haven't been reconciled to him, it's through Christ and him alone that we're able to be reconciled to him. As one pastor says, while arrogance can never be the Christian's way, confidence must mark his life. But it's not a confidence in myself, it's not a confidence in yourself. It's a confidence in Christ and what he's done for you because the reality is you and I are going to still struggle with sin. But when you think that you've out-sinned God's grace, you need to come back again to Hebrews and read it and feast on it. It's the finished work in Christ and of Christ in his unending grace that's been given to you that gives you the confidence to come boldly before him again. You can come confidently before the throne of grace and find mercy and help in time of need, not with flippancy toward obedience, 
not with flippancy towards holiness, but a longing to receive grace to be just that. Out of worship for God, to live a life that's pleasing to him, not to earn anything from him, but because he's given you everything in Christ. Man, have you ever felt like you don't belong? Maybe it's been in a church situation. Maybe it's been a a party that a friend of yours invited you to, and you're just like, man, I just don't feel like I belong. And you are nervous to show up to that particular place or group of people. And what's the thing you're looking to do? You're looking to find that person that invited you. Looking around the room, man, if I can just find them, if I can just talk to them, if I can just see them, then I'll know that it's okay for me to be here. The presence of God is a place of perfect holiness. You and I do not deserve it. But God gives it to us in and through Christ. And whenever you doubt that you belong, all you need to do is look again to Jesus and know that because your priest is there, you belong there too. Church, the way has been opened by your faithful high priest and it remains open. It remains open for his people to follow him there. See, through Christ, you individually have access to God. And through Christ, you corporately have access to God. Which leads to the next verse in verse 21. Another sense. Therefore, brothers, since we have a great high priest over the house of God. This is really crucial for us as well. A high priest over the house of God is important. It reminds us of what he said in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 16. Christ is faithful over God's house as a son and talking to us, and we are his house. He's talking about us here. If your faith is in Christ, then you have been brought into the family of God. You are his house. The house of God is the community of God's people, and Jesus is our priest over that house. He's the pastor over this church. He's the Lord of the church. He's the shepherd of his people. and We are his, bought with a price, ransom, ransomed, adopted. Once we were not a people, but now we are a people. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. Before Christ, you had no identity, no home, no rootedness. But in Jesus, you have everything. When you don't know what to do, you don't know where to go, when you're struggling with sin or suffering from its effects, He is the great high priest who intercedes for you. When the relentless voice of your accuser and adversary seems too loud and overwhelming, he is the great high priest who advocates for you. This is our Jesus. It's in him that we have confidence now and forever. And it's the only way for you to have confidence before a holy and righteous God. This is the gospel we preach at Sojourn Church. This is the gospel we value at Sojourn Church. In Galatians chapter 1 says, if we preach any other gospel than that, then let us be accursed. And so we come back to it over and over and over again as a church because our hope now and forever is only this. We come back to it over and over again because it's what calls us together. We come back to it over and over again because we so easily forget it in the midst of our daily lives. Man, does that happen to you? In the midst of your work week, interacting with your spouse, interacting with your kids, your roommates, when you're sitting in class on a Tuesday, 
so easy to forget the reality that you are able to boldly approach the throne with confidence because of what Christ has done for you. You are not the master of your own ship. You are not the captain of your destiny. You are not okay left to yourself. We all need Jesus, always. The lamb who was slain for our sin but has risen from the grave, interceding for us. And notice where we are in all of this. As we look at these few verses, where, where are we in all of this? Are we actively involved in making that way happen? Are we co-laboring and charting out the new and living way to our living God? Are we co-managing the house of God? No. We're those who have confidence to enter the holy place. We are those who the author says in verse 22, Therefore, since all of this is true, let us draw near. The way is open. Come. It's grace upon grace to you and me, not deserved but freely given. And are you amazed by this? Does this overwhelm you? Are you in awe of our Jesus, church? See, we value the gospel at Sojourn Church, but we also value the family that the gospel founds and forms. See, this isn't since you in a singular way. This is since we One of the big themes in this text is that the author is very clearly referring to the collective body of believers. He's referring to the faith family, to the church, talking about who they are and and what they are now called to do in light of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And in verse 22, we see the first of three let us exhortations. Therefore, since Jesus alone has made a way for you to be right with God, verse 22, let us then draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Uh, I guess it was last month, Amy and I went to the Coldplay concert at FedEx Field. And I don't know if you've ever been to FedEx Field, but it's a pretty massive stadium and the tickets to the concert were massively expensive. And so we, we got tickets a long time ago, and we got to the concert, and we got up to our seats, and we were like, man, we are really far away. Like, there were, I think, maybe five rows behind us, and then it was like the top of the stadium. So we were in the nosebleed section. And it's, I don't know if you've ever seen them or even like them, but they put on a great concert, a great show. But I said at one point, it was afterwards, I think we were kind of reflecting on it. I said, man, that was great, but you know what it felt like the whole time for me? It felt like we were there but we were kind of like not supposed to be there. Like we were looking into everybody else having a lot of fun and we were just kind of on the periphery, on the outside. Man, drawing near isn't about hanging out in the back. It's not about sitting up in the, the nosebleeds, kind of looking in at everybody else having fun into the presence of God. It's about actually being present with him, drawing near. Like being right there where, the, where the, the glory of God is all around you, where the greatness of who he is is right there in front of your face, not sitting up and be like, that must be nice. I kind, of, I kind of have the feelings, but I'm not experiencing it. Now he's calling us to draw near. Who are we drawing near to? The living God. And we're doing it with his collective and redeemed people. See, church, we need to get this. Drawing near is what it means to be Christian. That we get God. See, I think oftentimes when we think about the gospel, all we think about is it's the forgiveness of our sins. And that's it, the end. But to what end? You're forgiven of your sins so that you get God. So you get to draw near to him. You get to be in his presence. 
not rejected, not kept on the sidelines, not looking in. This isn't just about forgiveness. It's about coming before God. It's not just a ticket out of hell. It's the fact that you get to be a child of God now and forever. At one time, we were strangers with no hope, but now you are called a son or daughter of God. We are brothers and sisters together, and it's only because of what Jesus has accomplished for us. See, the author is driving this down from our heads to our hearts and out into our lives. This changes everything for you. This is not some inconsequential side benefit. When he's rehearsing these truths in Hebrews 10 and these verses here and that pivot point, that hinge verse of pointing us ahead of now what should we do about this? This is everything. It changes everything for your life that you get to come together with this group of people and draw near to the living God. Drawing near has an aspect of worship to it where we give praise and glory and honor to the God who has saved us. We can come freely before him. But when we do, we come with reverence before him. He is holy and worthy of our whole entire life. We can draw near to him in prayer. We can draw near to him through his living and active word. We can draw near to him as we gather together in community, as we raise our collective voice up, as we open our collective ears to receive his word. We can draw near to the living God with a true heart, a heart that's been transformed and changed and made new. We can draw near because our hearts have been sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. There's a a bit of an illusion or reference to baptism here. It's why we practice baptism after someone comes to know Christ. It's a reality, the fact of of what's happened spiritually with inside of you. A spiritual washing has taken place. And so when you're taken down into the water and raised up again, it's a celebration of the fact that you have been cleansed, made new, raised to new life with Jesus. It reminds me of Ezekiel 36. 25 through 27, something written hundreds of years before Christ. God promised, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. Uncleannesses? Such a weird word. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. We can draw near because Romans 5.1 says that we have peace with God. We have peace with God through what Christ has done for us. We have full assurance of faith. As Daniel said, full assurance. It's an overwhelming reality of the fact that there's no question of, am I supposed to be here? Do I belong here? No, you have peace with the living God and it's fully assured, not because of anything you've done, not because of your merits, not because of your good behavior or you're rejected because of bad behavior. It's because of who your faith is in. Where there was once enmity, there's now peace. Where there was once brokenness because of sin, there's now restoration. Where there was once shame and hiding, there is now freedom and joy. We have peace when we draw near to God because we know we are forgiven and set free, accepted and loved, and we are accepted and loved wholly and completely and fully. And who doesn't want to be fully known and fully loved at the same time? 
See, our culture longs for community. Because God created us to be in community, to be in relationship with other people. And we can look around and we can see lots of different things that culture promotes to foster some sense of community, whether it's some kind of club or organization, an affiliation of an activity or a sports team. We long to be fully known and fully loved, but most of the time what we get is posturing and pretending. Because there's a fear of being found out and in being found out, being rejected. But with God's people, it shouldn't be that way. Why? Because we only exist as a community because of what Jesus has done because of the gospel. The gospel, which inherently states that we are far worse than we could possibly imagine, but far more loved than we ever dared hope. It goes back to the key truth I mentioned at the beginning. The gospel both founds and is the foundation of true community. To found something means to inaugurate it, to begin, to start, or to establish it. And so when I say the gospel founds true community, I mean that it's the gospel that alone, the gospel alone that establishes us. The gospel alone that calls us out and calls us together to be people who were not a people before. True community is founded on the gospel because apart from it, we are utterly lost and alone. But that's exactly who Jesus came for. He came to seek and to save the lost. See, sin entered into the world. We see this in Genesis chapter 3. It entered into the world and it fractured and broke every relationship. Namely, our relationship with God, but it broke our relationships with one another as well. And sin attaches itself to people and relationships and then it jacks up those relationships over and over again. But in that same chapter, in Genesis chapter 3, God said that he intended to redeem a people out of that. And Hebrews 10 is highlighting the culmination of that of all that Christ has done to accomplish that. The creation of a redeemed people that are now able to draw near to God together through Him. That means the people of God are a called people. We are called out of our rebellion and called together to be a redeemed and redemptive community. This means that we are not God's people by genealogy. We are not God's people by biology. We are not God's people by ethnicity. We become God's people only through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It's the gospel that forms and founds the people of God. But this is also where we need to be careful. True community doesn't exist just because we slap the word gospel on it. The gospel isn't something added onto community. It's not a certain flavor of community. It's the means of it. It brings it into existence. So simply put, there is no other true community that exists apart from the redeeming work of Christ. So how is the church different from the world then? How can we be fully known and fully loved? It's because of the truth of Hebrews 10. You have nothing to bring on your own. You're the worst person on the kickball team, okay? Like there's nothing that you bring. You don't bring your ability. You don't bring any good works or anything before you. All of us stand in the same way, leveled at the foot of the cross, desperately in need of grace. This text is about the benefits, not just for you as an individual, but us together as a community that we get to draw near to God because of what Christ has done. 
See, those who discover a new relationship with God discover a new relationship with one another. That we're reconciled to God and to each other. And it's this reconciled and redeemed community, the local church, that provides the sphere and the context of Jesus' activity in your life. It can't just be you and Jesus. God calls you to be a part of a people. So this means that in order for you to thrive as a follower of Jesus, you have to be connected into the life of a local church, into Jesus' church, for him to most effectively do his work in you. This is about the collective body of Christ, brought together by the shed blood of Christ before the throne of grace. Since the gospel is the cause and the the founding reality of community, then it also must be the foundation of the community. A a foundation in, in a building is what allows the building to remain standing. Everything goes out and up from there. And without a solid foundation, the building will fall over And so a foundation can never be assumed. It can never be assumed. It's vital to ongoing life and existence of a structure. Well, the same thing's true for God's people. The gospel calls us together, but then we have to come back to it over and over again if we're going to continue to be a community where we can be fully known and fully loved. It's when we come back to the reality of Hebrews 10, 19 through 22, that we're able to call one another over and over again, to find our identity in Christ. We're able to call one another to rest in and operate from that identity and how we live our lives as individuals and with one another. When the gospel is not only the originator of community, but also the foundation of it, it redefines our relationships with each other. So there no longer needs to be posturing and pretending, shame and hiding, Because the gospel has declared that Jesus had to die for you. You've already been outed. You've already been outed that you also are in desperate need for grace. And the same is true for the person sitting next to you. There should be no fear anymore about that. In Christ, you have that grace. Man, too often I think we receive God's grace. And then we go about living our lives as if we don't actually need it. And so we start acting like we have it all together. And we make everybody else feel like if they don't have it all together, then maybe they're not quite there yet. They haven't measured up yet. We start to live like we don't need Hebrews 10, 19 through 22 to be true. But that's not freedom. In Christ, you have freedom. Freedom from sin and shame. Freedom to draw near to the living God with confidence over and over again. Freedom to give and receive encouragement and rebuke. Freedom to exhort one another to obedience. Freedom to weep and rejoice with your brothers and sisters. Freedom to bear with and bear one another's burdens. See, when the gospel is the foundation for our community, it redefines our relationships because the gospel redefines you. It fundamentally changes your identity. So then, with new hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and bodies washed with pure water, we no longer live for ourselves, but him who called us out of darkness and death and brought us into his kingdom of light and life. In a gospel-founded community, there can be a continual call then for men and women to be who they are in Christ in every facet of their life. As parents, as spouses, as children, as neighbors, as roommates, as 
students, as workers, as bosses, coaches, community members, consumers, everything about you. In a gospel community, a community that's founded on the gospel, we can pick one another up and carry one another forward as we draw near to God together. Listen, we have and will let one another down. We have and will sin and sin against one another. We have and will struggle to believe in the goodness and loving kindness of our God. We have and will chase after idols, false gods, less glorious things in our life. But for five years, this church has preached the truth of Hebrews 10, 19 through 22. We have preached the gospel of Jesus Christ and him crucified. For five years, we have been calling one another to draw near to our gracious God with confidence, not in ourselves, but in Christ and what he has done. And for the next five years, we'll keep doing that. In the next 10 years, the next 25 years, we will preach and apply the same radical reality of scandalous grace. That Christ came and he lived and he died and he rose again for us. That through him you might have life now and forever. We will do this because my hope is is that we will continue to strive to be a community that is only explainable because of the gospel. This church is founded on the gospel and its foundation remains the gospel. But we live in a culture that may seek to crowd out your sight and your ability to always see forward and know where you're going. But we don't need a million stars to know who we are or where we're going. We need just one, the bright morning star, our risen king who lives and intercedes for us, who has made a way and calls us to continually follow him. Listen, if you don't know Christ, then it's here in this community that you can learn about him. You can see lives transformed by him, and you yourself come to know him. We are not a perfect people at Sojourn Church, quite the contrary. But we are a messy work in progress of people who God is continuing to work in, and we have a perfect Savior. A Savior that we want you to know also. A Savior where you can lay down your burdens and your sin and your shame, and you can draw near to Him with us. Sojourn, Jesus is better. He really is. And I need to regularly be reminded of that reality. And my guess is you do too. So therefore, since that is true, let us draw near to him together. There, in it, there is no other so sure and steady as he. As a first act of application, we're going to come forward and take communion together. And this is a family meal that reminds us of what Christ has done for us in order to bring us together as a family. His body was broken for you. To make a new and living way, his blood was shed for you so that you might be forgiven and set free and called a child of God. And so as you eat the bread and drink the cup today, may it spiritually refresh your soul. And then as you look around and see others eating and drinking, may it refresh your heart that God has gifted these people to you. As messy and and broken as we all happen to be at different times, as much as we might frustrate and annoy each other at different points in time, He has gifted these people to you to help you on your journey with Jesus as you continue to become more like him. And so as you come forward to eat and drink, draw near to him today. Draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, not in yourself, but in Christ. Because through him, your hearts have been sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and your bodies washed with pure water. 
And if you're not a follower of Christ, we would just ask you not to come forward to take communion today. Because this is a declaration that our only hope is in Jesus. And so if you don't yet know Jesus, I want to invite you to hang out in your seat. As people are moving around, but I don't want you to sit there passively. Wrestle with what's been talked about today. And if you're ready to start a relationship with Jesus, then tell him that today. That you understand your desperate need for him. And then let somebody around you know that. Or if you have questions about what it means to know and follow Christ, tell someone so that we can journey with you and help you understand more of what that means and looks like. Those of you that will come forward, you can come to the tables at the front or the tables in the back. Tear off a piece of bread, take a cup to drink, and hear what Christ has done for you, spoken over you today. Let's pray.